I want to stay in this moment here for another minute or two. Because we're not just talking about God, we're talking to Him. We're not just singing about a concept. Uh, we actually can taste the reality of Him in our lives now. And I was struck and am still in my own connection to the Father, feeling His presence surrounding those lines. We cry out to dead bones, to dry bones come alive, to dead hearts come alive. And there is a reality that exists in the presence of God that supernatural things, things that are above what we naturally associate or beyond what we can naturally say, oh, this is the reasonable thing here. That God has access to the fullness of his creation beyond the limits that we see and know. And I know that there's many of you in this room here who have encountered and experienced a supernatural touch from the Father. That something in your body got better because God touched you. Something in your heart was renewed. Something simple like you're not frustrated at your sister anymore. I think that's supernatural. But this morning we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that focuses us on the reality of God's power to accomplish things in our lives. And I think that for so many years myself, I know this for sure, for so many years in my life, I was a student of the word. I was a philosophical religion. I have a philosophy degree in comparative religion. Like I love studying ideas. But I am so tired of Christian ideas. Christianity is not about a new concept of ideas. And let's put up the Christian philosophy against the Buddhist philosophy. Christianity isn't about a reality of God come onto this earth. And as we begin the Advent season, we have a candle lit that begins to tell us that God actually came to earth. And that God is still on the earth today. His presence is still with us today. Jesus didn't just come for three years of ministry or 30 some years of life to then be raptured off the planet so that he would not be here anymore. He sent his spirit that is with us forever. And that spirit is what they were singing about in this song. And Ezekiel says that you call out, you prophesy, you speak. To the dead dry bones. And I will give them breath. That word breath is the Hebrew word ruach. And it's spirit. It's Genesis 1. The spirit, the ruach of God is hovering over the chaos. And bringing order to the chaos. And this is how it works in the kingdom of God. I know this is true. We speak out. And the Holy Spirit does the things that he's empowered us to speak. The end of Mark says that. The disciples went everywhere and they preached the gospel of the kingdom and the Holy Spirit followed them and confirmed the things they spoke with the demonstration or the signs that followed that. And there's a reality in the kingdom of heaven as we speak out what we know is in the scriptures, what we know about God's heart, not just through mental assent, but through an experience, a yada, an encounter, an intimacy with him. As we speak that stuff out, the Holy Spirit then comes and does it. And I know that there's ways that that reality in the kingdom of heaven has been twisted and pulled into places I don't think it was intended to go. 
But the truth remains that we're in partnership with God. And as we speak out the truth, the power of God comes and he does it in your lives. And so I believe this morning that there's some dead hearts here today that have a flicker of hope. And it's my great desire. I'm going to launch right into it now. But it's my great desire that that be the case. I'm not at all interested in you hearing the cool words. Hopefully I'll have some cool things to say. But I'm not interested in you hearing that. I'm interested in you encountering God. And that can happen as we meditate in a worship song. That can happen as you tune me out and read the daily devotion on Facebook. That can happen in a lot of ways. But that's what this is about. Connecting to God. And that's the invitation here this morning. When I begin to feel the Lord's presence, a lot of stuff stops making sense. And I just like think and hear him. And I'm feeling his goodness here this morning. And I really uh, would love uh, for him to come and do everything that was just sung about. So would you guys pray with me as we get started? Holy Spirit, we, we yield to you. We turn our hearts and our affections towards you. We know, Spirit of God, that you have power on earth to do everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus set out to accomplish, everything that's in the Father's heart for us here today, you can do, you can make alive. So we yield to you and we, we confess, Father, that we are dependent on you to come and do and be all that you said you are. We honor you in this place this morning. Amen. Thanks for letting me go there. Walk with me a little bit in that. Um, I feel like so much in, in church. I'm a worship leader. I've done that most of my life. I'm kind of new to the teaching thing. Uh, but so much of the work that I do in worship leading is focused on getting to the point where we can actually touch the divine maybe that's weird language do you guys know that you can actually encounter god that you don't just have to think about him like he can be real in your life and not just in your mind but you can physically feel him or you can hear him or you can walk with him in every circumstance in every situation and you can begin to have knowledge and understanding that you don't have through your own reasonable abilities this is true. This is good news. This is the power of God moving on the earth today. And this, this last summer, we did a big series in, in all of our campuses about hearing God. And being connected to the voice of God. And knowing what he's saying. Not just for the big things which are great. But for the everyday things. For learning to walk in a manner that we become dependent on the voice of God. And that's really what I'd like to talk some about this morning is dependency. Um, because our scripture here for the morning didn't immediately appear to be about dependency. Uh, and I'm not a week in, week out teacher. And and so I'm kind of out of practice and getting to do it once in a while is, is fun. But it's also kind of hard because we have a schedule and we have a plan in all of our communities. You probably know this. We're, and so I was given the scriptures and the little line about what to talk about today and then the freedom to pursue the Lord for that. And I got the scriptures. I'll tell you that story here in a few minutes. But I got the scriptures and I panicked a little bit because 
I thought, oh, no, I don't know anything about this. And more than not know anything about it, I kind of don't like it. I mean, is that okay to say in church? Like, I wrestle with the scriptures. I don't just read them and think, oh, rainbows and sunshine. Some of this stuff is hard. And for me, this passage of scripture was hard. Uh, and so I, I, I grabbed onto the Lord here with a little bit this morning and feel like he showed me some stuff and like to share it. So I am from Riverside up north. And as is our custom, I invite you guys to all now stand with me as we read the scriptures. We like to stand for the words of God and stay seated for everyone else's. So this is Philippians 4. Uh, 10. If you guys would read this all with me, we'll just read this whole screen. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Thank you. You can be seated. This is a famous passage of scripture. You may notice it from the uh, NFL black lines under quarterback's eyes where they have Philippians 4. I can do all things or it's a powerful scripture. That last piece, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I grew up, honestly, I kind of grew up mocking that a little bit. That's man. Why am I? I need a filter. Uh, but I grew up kind of with this deal of if I can't do it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was like, suck it up, buck it up. Just say what's true and, you know, work harder. Try harder, Adam. Christ is with you. You can try harder. And so sort of unconsciously, I began to not really be super connected to this passage of Scripture. And more than that, there's a for me, there's a dirty word in this Scripture. The word is contentment. I struggled with contentment. I'm like, oh, Paul's saying content. I don't want to be content. I'm a brooding intellectual. I'm discontent. That's where all my creativity comes from. Right? My energy to want to know and figure out and be discontent. I'm not satisfied with the way the world is. I'll figure it out. So I kind of lived in this tension. But Paul is saying something here that I think is worth grabbing onto. And so I'd like to, as best I can, look at what Paul is trying to say here. And I think that I can see that Paul's making a connection between rejoicing in the Lord and contentment. And he's also making a connection between contentment and that last line. And the purpose of this scripture is that last line. That's the culmination. That's that's the punchline. I can do all things through Christ, him who strengthens me. That word do in the Greek is this word dunamis, dudamai. It's where we get our English word dynamite. It means to powerfully accomplish. Explosive energy, explosive force. It doesn't mean... I can eat through another day at work with my frustrating boss through Christ who strengthens me. Doesn't mean that I can just maintain and sustain and deal with my, you know, Eeyore, woe is me life. I can do that with Christ who strengthens me. It means to powerfully accomplish what God has put you 
on this earth to do. And more than that, who he's made you to be. That's what this is about. And so I looked at that and thought, okay, if Paul's saying that this is about powerfully accomplishing what God made us to be and do, then I want to know about that. And in the very top there, it says, I rejoice in the Lord. And there's a connection here between rejoicing in God and recognizing his power. Like rejoicing is, it feels a bit like it's, it's an outward expression, like thanksgiving. Those are kind of synonymous at times. And thanksgiving is not just about your emotional state, which, which it is, but it's not just about that. Like that's gratefulness. You have an emotional feeling. It's about you. I'm feeling emotionally happy or grateful, right? Which is, which is good. Emotions are good. But thankfulness, as my friends in recovery say, don't just be grateful, act grateful. It's the activity of gratefulness that becomes thanksgiving. I'm giving you the gratefulness that's in my heart. I'm thanking you. Thanksgiving is not just about our emotions. It's about letting somebody know, communicating through word or action or deed. And... Thanksgiving has a secret to it. And this was part of what we were given this week to talk about is that one of the keys or the secret to Thanksgiving is something called contentment, which is what Paul's getting at here. And like I said earlier, this is something that I've really wrestled with because, you know, I'm I did a strength finders test and I like categories. And so now I know how to categorize myself and I feel nice and safe in the world uh, because I have a category for my mind. Uh, but I'm a visionary futurist connector for those of you that have done that or like categories. So I'm constantly thinking about what's ahead. I'm, I'm trying to build strategies and systems and I'm trying to make connections between things that are just maybe right over the horizon. I'm constantly looking ahead. And it is really difficult for me to be content. Just hold this. See, I'm fidgety. It's difficult for me to be content because I don't want to just sit in the way the world is right now. I want it to be better. I want it to be bigger. I actually believe that God has power to do the stuff that I said here this morning that we sang about. And I'm not content to just sit in the reality of my life now. I know there's more. God is an inexhaustible well of joy and life and hope and peace. And I don't wake up inexhausted with that. I wake up exhausted. So there's more. And I live in that. And I think there's this kind of... No, I had this noble holiness about me in my own mind about this. But there's a there's a shadow side to that. A side to that that the enemy likes to um, to to get us with and get me with anyway, is that I'm never content. I don't know how to be content. I think the word's dirty and I don't like it. And so this week. I said yes to teaching a month ago, and I got the scriptures on Monday, and it was about contentment. And I went, no. And so I asked the Lord. I was like, all right, God, I don't like this. What do you have in this? Teach me. And I feel like you showed me some things about contentment. 
The secret of thankfulness is contentment. And the reality is that none of this stuff that we have belongs to us anyway. Being okay with what you have is one of the foundations of contentment. Being okay with. And contentment keeps us focused on what we have and who we are and not on what we don't have or aren't. And I think that that's, it's not a spiritual discipline, but I think it should be. The spiritual discipline of not comparing yourself to everyone else. Of saying, I know who I am and I love who I am and I don't need to be you. I'm focused on who God made me to be. You got to get that nailed down and you're not going to get it in the comparisons. I mean, God said when he created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity in Genesis, he said, you are very good. You're very good in and of yourself. He didn't say, "Ah, compared to those zebras, you ain't bad. He's like, no, you and yourself are very good. Contentment is a willingness to be who God made you to be without comparing yourself to everyone else. And oftentimes we build our lives around what we don't have. We build theology around what Jesus didn't do instead of all the stuff he did. And so contentment pushes us into a focus on who God is and who we are and not who he's not and what we're not. There's a big component to that. But contentment is also not about killing your desires. And this is what I really wrestled with because I'm a passionate guy. I have big desires. And I've gotten in trouble with those desires before. And I've had people tell me, stim it down now. You're in the church. We're respectable here. Can't be hoping and getting people's hopes all up. Believing that God's going to heal them of multiple sclerosis. God doesn't do that today. It's not in the Bible. I don't, God didn't heal anyone of multiple sclerosis in the Bible. I mean, I heard these kinds of things. But I'm not building my theology around what he didn't do. He does heal. He did heal. He healed all the time. And so I'm going to keep hoping for that. I'm going to join with Andrea and hope for that and believe God for that. Not based on my own ability, but on what I see in the text and what I've experienced in the world. And so you can't kill your desire to become more content. That's a recipe for disaster. And any of you that have tried to kill your desire to just be satisfied, that's not what the Bible's talking about. And Paul says there's a secret to contentment. He says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I'm being content with a lot or a little. The secret of that is what? Dependency on the power of God. He recognizes, and we need to recognize that we can do everything, not on our own ability, but through Christ who gives us the strength. The secret of contentment, y'all, is a willingness to be dependent on God's power. It's just a willingness to be dependent. It's hard for Texas men to admit that. But it's really important that you do. And not just say it with your mouth, but learn to be dependent on God. Because we can do a whole lot of stuff 
in our own ability. The problem with doing a bunch of awesome stuff in your own strength is that if you fight real hard to get it, you've got to fight even harder to keep it. Anyone that's worked their way up a corporate ladder knows that. What happens when the next guy, the younger guy, comes in with the degree from Yale and you just went to MIT? Or what happens when the competition arises? You worked your whole life to get it and now there's someone younger, smarter, prettier. Well, you're gone because it's about working your way into it. I read a book earlier this year by, by a guy who was the first chief administrative officer of the House. Uh, and it was a book all about Congress. And it was a riveting story. Uh, but one of the things that he said that I found fascinating was his observations about being on Capitol Hill for three years. Was that this incoming freshman class of people was in 94 when there was a big turnover, a bit like there is now. This freshman class of people came into Congress with ideals and excitement and vision, and we're going to remake the country. And he said the number one thing that corrupted them, that got off vision, off focus, off of their ideals, it wasn't the failure. It was the success. Because the moment that you got a piece of legislation passed, you had success. And now all the people that helped you get that passed started calling in the favors. And if you work really hard to keep something, you have to work even harder to hold on to it. And that's what happened in this way in a government, according to this guy's opinion. But it's a good illustration for me. But if you follow God into something, when you get it, who does it belong to? Is there any question in your own mind that you own it or that you're in charge of holding it and keeping it together? Do you guys have any experience with this? Like you can look at something and think, yeah, God gave me this. And if it goes away, he'll give me more or he'll teach me something new. I had that that wonderful um, teachable moment this week. Monday morning, I got up. I had purposed to do this whole last week of working on writing and thinking and preparing for this. And I had a whole kind of free week and I was going to get to study and write and think. And it's really exciting for me. And I haven't had that in a long time. And so I purposed myself Sunday night to get ready and Monday to go. And I was feeling creative and feeling passionate and alive. And I was going down to local coffee uh, to go start some writing. And I walk out into my driveway and, and walk around. I have a, an SUV and on the other side is our other car. And I walk around and the car's not there. So I, I turn around, went back inside and asked my wife, you know, where she parked the car. Sometimes we'll leave it at the gym and. And she says, no, we parked in the driveway. And then I remember last night pulling in and almost hitting it. And I'm like, okay. So I walked back out there and I realized someone stole my car. And, and so I, I look around in my other cars, this SUV Mazda, and I open and the passenger doors open and the inside of the car has been rifled through. So someone broke in and they found my valet key for my other car, my Volvo, and they got in and drove off. So here's my morning, purpose to teach and study and learn, uh, and now I've got this major interruption. Now, I haven't looked at the scriptures yet uh, for this morning at this point. And I, went, I had a meeting with Dixon, and, and then about noon, I texted Matt Scott. I was like, so what are the scriptures for this week? I got to prep, and he sends me these scriptures, and I went, no, I can just Google it. I don't need to have my life be the illustration, Lord. 
But I'm experiencing this week being brought low. I mean, having a car stolen is is frustrating. But what I've experienced this week has been a lot less frustration and a lot more thanksgiving. And I'm honestly surprised by it. But there's a reality here for me is that I didn't work to get that car. That was a gift. Honestly, it was a gift. I'll spare you the story on how that happened. I still want the car and I'd really like it back. But it was a gift to me. God gave me that car like he gave me my house, like he gave me my wife, like he gave me my children. And when that stuff goes away, what I realized was, hey, I really do trust God. I'm really grateful for that. And so Paul's secret for contentment is not about killing or lowering your expectations. It's about dependency on God, about recognizing that he's given you your life. None of the stuff you have belongs to you anyway. If you've busted your tail to get it and you're exhausted from trying to keep it, maybe there's an opportunity for you to connect to God and have him show you some new ways to live. That doesn't mean getting your car stolen or quitting your job and liquidating your 401k. He can walk you through a way to connect to him, which is a major part of dependency. Because my rub with contentment is that you have to be dependent. Which I can learn is really good. But my rub with dependency is that it's really hard to be dependent on something that you're not connected to. That's not easy. I have a pretty healthy family and we don't go to the doctor very often. And I'm very grateful for that. But when we do go to the doctor... When our first child was born, I was a hot mess in the in the hospital. And because now my wife has to be kept alive by all these doctors and nurses and I have no control and I don't know how their system works and I don't know how to manipulate it. And I I am totally dependent on a system I am not connected to at all. Some of you may be physicians or spend a lot of time in hospitals, and it's much easier for you to relax because you're dependent on a system that you really know and understand. You've got connection there. But for me, it's hard. And there's a reality to that. And maybe some of you are feeling a little bit of anxiety when I say you need to be dependent. Being dependent on God is a superior position than being independent. Maybe there's some anxiety there. Because it's hard to be dependent on something that you're not connected to. And so for me, the connection that we have to God is of utmost importance. And connections, even relational connections, when we come into trials in our relationships or in our connections to our family or friends or coworkers, when we come into trials, there's two things that really happen in trials. One of them is that connections that are weak, they get destroyed. You run into an obstacle and... You know, what happens to my kindergartner daughter happens to you. Her, her best friend is Sarah. And about once a week, she comes home sad that Sarah said, we're no longer friends. Because they didn't do what she wanted on the playground. And now we're not friends anymore. But then we're friends again. But now we're not friends anymore. It's a weak connection. 
When the trial comes, there's division and separation. But strong connections in times of trials, there's a strengthening, there's a galvanizing. It's sort of the, the foxhole syndrome when you, when you go through difficult struggles. The people that you've walked through, there's a deepening and a strengthening of connection that comes. In marriage, that's an important part of growing old together from my years of wisdom. Walking with God, that's an important part. Walking through the trials, staying connected to the Father. Brene Brown is one of the few non-Jewish sages that we recognize here in this community. And you're supposed to snicker at that. Uh, But she is a a psychologist and author down in Houston. She's written some really great stuff about intimacy and connection. And this is her definition of connection. I really like it. She said that connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they can give and receive without judgment and when they derive sustenance and strength from their relationship. Think about that as it relates to God. That you feel seen and heard. And it's mutual. That God sees you and hears you and that you're speaking and revealing yourself to God. Like there's a connection and there's a strengthening and a sustaining that comes in connecting up to God. Now, so if the secret of thanksgiving is contentment and a secret of contentment is dependency and then a secret of dependency is connection. What's the secret to connection? Because connection in this culture is not easy. Everyone's trying to get families to disconnect, trying to get hearts to disconnect from one thing and reconnect to another. How do we connect to the Father? So you want to be dependent on God, but you've got a little bit of anxiousness because you don't feel super connected to Him. How do we connect to the Father? Well, the answer, I believe, is in John 14. This is John 14, verses 18 through 20. This is one of the most tender sections of the Gospels. It's Jesus talking to His disciples who He's fathered for years, three years. And he's telling them that he's going to die and he's going to leave them. And they're rightly so freaking out because he has been their mentor and father. They've actually left their literal fathers to walk with their rabbi for years now. And he's saying, I'm leaving. And they're like, where are you going? He said, it's okay. It's better that I go because I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit will be to you this. And Jesus says, disciples, us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in my father and you and me and I and you. And Jesus is saying to them, I won't leave you as an orphan. That word doesn't mean lacking a biological father only. That's actually a medical impossibility. We all have a biological father. Being an orphan is about lacking the comfort that comes from having a father in your life. Fathers give identity, protection, provision. They impart to us a sense of who we are and how to move in the world. That's part of the father's job. And that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. And they needed it. And Jesus said, I know that you need tangible daily comfort. I know that you need to be fathered. 
And I'm giving to you the Holy Spirit so that he can father you, that he can lead you to the Father, that he can show you who you are, what you've been made for. He can tell you how to do it, what to do, where to go, who to connect to. The Holy Spirit is to us everything that Jesus was to his disciples and more. Jesus actually said, it's better that I go. You're in a better position now. New Heights. 2014, you're in a better, more advantageous position with God than you were walking the streets with Jesus in Jerusalem, if you were there. It's better now, more advantageous, because we have direct connection to the Father through the presence of the Spirit. And in all my years of pursuing God, coming into encounter and relationship with Him, I've come to discover that there is nothing more important for me than my connection to God through intimacy with his spirit. And I realized this week when my car was stolen and my heart actually said, I trust you. I was mad. I expressed some anger. But I didn't panic. And you know what? I have a good, good father. And he can tell one of you guys to buy me a car right now. He can do that. Or he can tell me how to make some more money. Or he can tell me how to learn to live with a one-car lifestyle. I don't care. I have a good father who loves me. And when I walk through trials, whether they're little and trivial, I mean, this is a first-world problem. We're down to one car. Trivial like that, or something bigger like your body needs the regeneration of God. Or something maybe even bigger that our nation needs to be turned and serve him again. Whatever it is, there's a way to walk at peace with the Father through connection to his spirit. That you can actually wage war on fear and doubt. Because you can say what Paul said. In all things, I have learned the secret of being connected and dependent. That I am able to accomplish everything God made me to do and be through the spirit who gives me the power to do that. You know what happens to my heart and to your hearts when you walk with God through a trial and you trust him and you realize that you have a good father? It makes you really thankful. And you want to worship. And you sing these songs and you think, dead bones come alive. Dead hearts come alive. I know that's true in this place this morning. Because I know my father. And if you're on the journey into the Father's heart, if you're learning about Him, if maybe you're new to the Father language, the Daddy language, it's New Testament faith. It's the language that Jesus used. He called the Father, Abba, Daddy, all the time. It's an expression of the intimacy and connection with God. And if you're new to that, just grab on to any one of these moments. Maybe you're wrestling with Thanksgiving. Maybe you're tired of manufacturing thankfulness. Maybe, maybe you really like me, you don't like stuffing and you're tired of just saying, yeah, great stuffing. Thanks for that. You don't have to manufacture love and affection for God. He will give that to you as you walk with him. He will put in you the love that exists. There's an extravagance. One of the words that prayer people got this morning was that God wanted to lavish his extravagance. There's a depth of affection and power and love that God has for you. 
And that will call out of you trust and connection. If the team would come back up. So I just invite you guys this morning. If anything connected up in what I was saying or something the Lord was speaking to you. I want to take just a moment here and pray to finish. Because I do all this work. Because just like Ezekiel said and Matt talked about and Mark says. That the Holy Spirit comes and does the things that, that we declare. That come from him. It's a big caveat. When we speak his words, he comes and does them in your lives. So I'd like to pray here now and take just a moment, give you guys a little bit of space. And if there's something that, that grabbed onto your heart or your spirit or whatever that connection point is for you, I invite you now just to take a moment and turn your heart and your affection towards him and say, Oh God, I am tired of manufacturing thankfulness. Or my heart is kind of hard. Or I don't know if you're good, Father, will you tell me? Or whatever it is. Let's take a moment now and grab on to that. So pray with me. Living God, we thank you that you are actually alive. That you are here among us. Father, that this season of remembering when God came as a child, an infant in a manger, totally dependent on the daily care for years, dependent, that you are with us. And that we are infants just like you in desperate need of a savior, in desperate need of one to lead us and guide us. And I ask this morning, Spirit of God, that you would come and do the things that you've promised. That you would come and do and accomplish in your power everything that you have for each person in this place. Whether it's a connection point in their heart to the goodness of the Father or healing in their bodies or their minds. Father, I ask now that you would come and do that. Make that known. Make that alive. Breathe to life. Spirit of God, we bless you.